Hello and welcome to the Idaho Reports podcast for August 11th. I'm Melissa Davlin. Fire, heat, drought, and population growth have dominated the headlines in Idaho this summer, and one scientist is looking at the convergence of all of these issues. Dr. Alejandro Lejo Flores is an associate professor at Boise State University's Department of Geoscience and is the director of the Lab for Ecohydrology Applications and Forecasting, or LEAF. Dr. Flores, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Melissa. It's good to be with you. First, for people who aren't familiar, can you explain what LEAF is and what you do? Yeah, so our our research, um, I'm the lead professor. We're largely a, a group of uh, graduate students, and I'm primarily their graduate supervisors. Um, our group looks at how uh, the, the water cycle is changing in Idaho. We look at things like how precipitation um how to model precipitation and where it falls and whether it falls as rain or snow. And then we're interested in what becomes of that water, whether it winds up evaporating back to the atmosphere, whether it winds up running off and in our rivers and streams. Um, and we're interested in sort of making better predictions about that through time. We're also interested in um, in in ensuring that that information can be mapped onto the ways that water users use information and, and think about how the water cycle works uh, to allow us all to kind of make you know better decisions with the the scarce resource of water that we have in the West. And those predictions are going to be so much more critical in the future when we factor in climate change and population growth. But but let's look at this summer to start out with what's the what's the water picture in Idaho right now so the the water picture in Idaho right now is it's 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 dry we're in a drought condition um we kind of started off a little bit behind the eight ball um it started to look like it was going to be a decent winter in terms of uh the precip and snowpack that we got um, in the early part of the season, and then it sort of petered out. Um, you know, March and, and February tend to be the really big um, seasons for big snowstorms that provide snowpack to our mountains in Idaho. Um, we didn't get as many events as we would have liked to get, as many of, of those big kind of snowstorms. Um, and as a result, we sort of started off behind the eight ball. Um, and then, you know, we just had that un unprecedented um, and exceptionally unlikely heat event in, in early June or mid-June, which is, is very uncharacteristic of, of this part of the country that early in the season. Um, and so whatever snow remained in the, in the Rockies at the start of that event was basically gone. Uh, in addition to that, you know, the, the soil tends to you know, be a storage reservoir for, for moisture um, and to heat up the atmosphere. Um, the, the atmosphere kind of wants or it wants to suck more water out of the soil through plants or just by evaporation. And so that heat wave also served to kind of remove a lot of that moisture from the soil that was sort of left. So right about uh, late June, early July, we were in pretty desperate straits. We were saved a little bit recently by that kind of monsoonal moisture that came up from the Gulf of Mexico. Um, I've lived here about 12 years, and that's the first time I recall sort of a, a monsoon-like event kind of coming up this far north. So um, that's also sort of uncharacteristic, but um, 
it did a little bit to sort of relieve the situation so it's not nearly as bad as it was but it's still pretty dry out there and you know this is our this is our driest season right so uh it'll be october november before we get you know precipitation that's really meaningful at, at hopefully quenching the drought it's so interesting that you're talking about soil when we're talking about water. I think most people, especially in Idaho, think of the snowpack. They think of the aquifers. They think of the uh, reservoir levels, but they don't necessarily think about the ground. And and that's got to be a critical part for not just the forest, but also for ag, I imagine. Absolutely, yeah. So, so soil moisture is this... Um you know, this variable that, uh, you know, it, when you first hear it, it sounds kind of boring, right? Um, but it turns out that it's it's kind of at the heart of the, the terrestrial water cycle, right? So the soil serves as this kind of filter reservoir for everything the atmosphere gives it, right? For the infiltrating snow melt, for the rain that infiltrates um, but it's also this reservoir of water for our plants, for our forests, and it's kind of, you know, where the, um, uh, where our crops kind of draw water from. And because it's dry in the West, um, you know, the, the, the big thing about agriculture in the West in particular is that in all of our Western systems, and I'm from Colorado originally, um, we've built this enormous infrastructure, uh, physical infrastructure, policy and governmental social infrastructure to, to basically try and capture that snowpack as best we can, store it in reservoirs, and then um, distribute it across the landscape as irrigation so that farmers can supplement the soil with that moisture because we don't get enough of it um, to, grow, to grow crops like they do in the East Coast after about june right so so yeah so soil moisture is one of those things that is is really essential and you know when you talk to when you talk to agriculturalists when you talk to farmers when you talk to foresters you know they they know you know soil moisture is kind of one of the first things that they'll they'll mention you know we we talk about water stresses with the forests and with agriculture and then there's another factor there is the explosive growth that we're seeing throughout Idaho in in Idaho's metropolitan areas in the Coeur d'Alene area in Treasure Valley my gosh um you know even a little bit in Magic Valley how does that factor into the conversation yeah so the the place where that factors in the most right is that um those and, and this has been part of the discussion this summer in the treasure valley and in Coeur d'Alene as well part of the, the the big issue is that these people coming into our landscapes right they need a place to live um and so the issue of kind of housing and how the treasure valley how the magic valley how idaho falls how Coeur d'Alene kind of develops in terms of what's you know, what's termed the land use, right? How we use the land um, is really essential for sort of determining how this population growth will ultimately influence the, the water picture. And it influences it through a lot of just really interesting and, and complex ways. Um, a lot comes down to what, what kind of developments, what kind of houses do the people coming to Idaho prefer, right? Are they looking to live um, in the downtown core of Boise 
or you know in a high rise in Coeur d'Alene where it's maybe a, a small footprint or do they want are they preferring something more like a star ranch at or you know a you know a half acre plot somewhere out in Nampa and depending on kind of the breakdown of of what those people sort of demand um that will influence kind of the land use in our landscape and that will ultimately influence kind of what is covering the land and that'll influence kind of the you know the demand for water so if everybody coming into the landscape you know wants that kind of half acre um suburban you know green grass kind of uh development house you know they want room for the kids um they want a dog you know they want to be able to kind of have friends over and you know and and play cornhole right on the fourth of july um that's going to require irrigation right they're going to have to water those lawns um and so that is is going to at least change the amount of water that was at least historically used um on that plot of land depending where it is so really i guess what i'm looking at and keeping an eye on is you know, as more people come to Idaho, you know, what what is the demand for different kind of styles of housing? And what, what's interesting to me about this conversation is when we're talking about population growth and the stresses that that adds on the water system, we're not talking about more people taking showers. We're not talking about more people filling up their water jugs. We're talking about irrigation for yards. Go, go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna say absolutely. And, and this is something that is a huge issue throughout the West. Um, again, I, I mentioned I'm from I'm from Colorado originally. I have a colleague at Colorado State University who just published a paper um, in water resources research last year. She was looking at streams in kind of the front range area of Denver. Um, and she was using a set of sort of um, geochemical techniques that allowed her uh, to kind of look at where the water was coming from, right? Was this was this water that I'm observing in this urban stream? Is it coming from you know precipitation, right? The, or does it look like the water that you get out of the tap? It turns out in the summertime in the Denver metro area, um, something like up to sixty percent of the flow that was in some of these streams, you know, you could trace back to kind of tap water, right? It was water that people were watering on their lawns, you know, were applying to their lawns. And it was it was running off right either they were overwatering and it wound up in gutters and drains and, and in these streams or it was making its way all the way through the soil and kind of out into kind of rivers and streams through shallow groundwater and so this is a this is a big issue throughout the west um and historically has been and that that is a big factor is is lawn watering lawn ir irrigation Anecdotally, I know that I'm seeing a lot more interest in low water landscaping and xeriscaping and native scaping. Um, but, but I also know that that's not necessarily the case in a lot of these new subdivisions that have HOAs that require you to have a pristine green grass lawn. And it has to be real grass, right? It can't be different in some of these as we've seen. Right. There, there was for, for for listeners, especially outside of the Treasure Valley, there was a story in the Idaho Statesman in the past week about uh, two residents of a, a subdivision with an HOA 
they put in artificial turf in their yard and their HOA said, no, you've got to replace it with green grass turf that with, with these, you know, that relies on water. You cannot do this artificially. That right now is in court. And just as a citizen, I'm interested in how that's going to turn out. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I don't live in a place with an HOA and I know that a lot of my neighbors I see on my daily walks are starting to switch to, you know, edible landscapes. Yeah. And if you're going to use that water, they're using it in a way that produces something that is either, you know, more aesthetically pre- pleasing with low water or for food. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that that's going to be a big it's an interesting trend to watch, right? Um, and on some level, it gives me hope, right? Because folks are are thinking about that. But I think your 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 point about HOAs and the degree to which they can sort of influence individual behavior is a really important one. Let's talk a little bit about how climate change is this overarching theme, this this cloud that's being cast over all of these conversations, um, and and just for people who may not be familiar, can you give us a rundown of the difference between climate and individual weather events? Because those are very, very different things. Yeah, so this is a great question. And and this is a, um, there's a couple of different analogies that that we can use. So individual weather events, um, you know, those are kind of the the heat waves, the, the blizzards, the, you know, large events that are oftentimes we, um, in climate science, these are called sort of climate noise, right? Because they're the highs and lows um, of the of the climate system. The climate system is kind of the you know the long term running average of all of those things, right? So if you, if you kind of smoothed it out, and a good analogy I think for those in the audience, and you know I know Melissa, you're a baseball fan, right? And so you can think of um, weather events as being kind of an individual at bat, right? So um, when there's an individual player who's up at the plate, right? The weather event is kind of what they do with that individual at bat. The climate is really kind of what they do over the season, right? So when we talk about statistics like their on-base percentage, right? Their hitting average, those are kind of what we think of as kind of climate statistics. Whereas, you know, the individual at bat, right? Is, is really kind of more of that weather, you know, weather pattern. And as we're talking about water, you know, with this in mind on Monday, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change released its report for 2021. Um, and, and the headlines were pretty dire. Can you give us a rundown? Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, the, the first thing maybe to be um, a little bit, the, the, so the IPCC report that was released on Monday is this, the summary for policymakers or the so-called SPM. Um, this is really kind of for the, the key thing to understand about the IPCC report is it's really this huge synthesis of all the climate science that's kind of gone on over the period of time since the last report was released um, in 2017. And it's kind of the state of what climate scientists say. And the the high level kind of takeaway from it was was really one of, you know, our confidence is, you know, we're, we're our confidence is even greater than the previous report where it was pretty great then that the planet is warming. We're on a path um, for a level of warming and levels of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere we haven't seen for millions of years. 
Um, this will have dramatic impacts on things like, you know, water, so severe storms, hurricanes. Um, by the end of the century, if we don't very quickly and fairly aggressively start reducing our net emissions of greenhouse gases um, as, you know, as humans, as a civilization. Um, and so for those of us that are sort of scientists, it was a lot of more of the same, um, except that it was just a like, yep, we're even more confident than we were last time. Um, and so, you know, it, it, a lot of the headlines are dire. And, and I think that the, you know, the, the, the key takeaway is that, you know, these, these reports, they're not going to be changing in terms of what the projections are and the directions of change for things like temperature, right? It's going to get warmer. We're going to get even more confident in, in our ability to say how warmer, um, what has, what has not changed that should have changed, right. Is, is sort of getting serious about, global emissions of greenhouse gases. And I think that that's what sort of came through for me, right? Was that like, okay, we, we have to start doing something if if we wanna get off this path that we're on, which is um, one that in a lot of ways doesn't look so great in the future. I wanna talk about those potential policy changes in a bit, but first, what might the implications of this warming planet be for Idaho? Yeah, that's um, that's a great question. I I think the thing that I want the listener to know out there, right, is that climate change in the and and I'm you know my expertise is is really kind of on the water side. There are a whole bunch of other ramifications for climate change for Idaho um, that are not that are not necessarily water. They may be related to water, right? Things like wildfires and smoke that obviously intersect water, but aren't primarily necessarily about water. But the key takeaway is that climate change is going to stress both kind of that supply side that we were talking about in terms of um, snowpack, um, and it's going to stress the demand side as well. So in a future warmer climate, um, this is going to mean that more of our precipitation in the mountains is going to occur as rain when it would have historically occurred as snow. Um, this is going to translate directly to less snowpack on average and earlier melt um, and lower uh, summertime stream flows in our rivers and streams in Idaho. Um, but in addition to those kind of changes in the water supply, it's also going to have impacts um, on the demand for water. And, you know, we talked about soil moisture, we talked about agriculture. Um, the thing about a warmer atmosphere is that it demands more water, right? It's the hotter it is, um, the more water the atmosphere can hold. That pushes kind of, that puts more pressure, more stress on those plants to suck up more water from that soil and give it to the atmosphere to do their photosynthesis. So the crops that we grow in Idaho, our forests and, and trees are going to be requiring more water in time and so we're also going to see increases in stress on that demand side as well. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that that's one thing that may not be quite as appreciated as much is that, you know, we've heard for a long time about the impacts of climate change on water resources and water supply. Um, 
We also need to think about how climate change is going to influence the demand for water and really kind of the pivot point between those two is is how do we manage water in the state? What are some of the ramifications for um, you know the for our for our physical infrastructure for our reservoirs for our canals, but also kind of our policy infrastructure our water rights our policies um, our land use planning strategies for um, how we manage water. And from that policy standpoint, we've seen legislative leaders and Governor Brad Little prioritize water infrastructure, um, at least in some of these funding requests with with federal stimulus money, with some of the legislative action we saw this last uh, year from the private sector side. Do you from where you're sitting, do you see ag leaders um, talk about changing their practices or maybe changing the crops that they're growing in the future? Yeah, there's, there is a lot that's going on in kind of the agricultural sector in this, in this space. So, you know, first and foremost, you know, I think one of the big things that's, that's happening and has been happening, there are companies in Idaho that very much are at the forefront of this is um, just kind of, um, you know, the cultivars that are being grown of existing crops, right? Um, there's been a lot of work up at up at U of I, right, um, in 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 the wheat space, right, of trying to understand, you know, what cultivars are, what cultivars of wheat are going to be most successful um, in a warmer climate that we might see in Idaho up on the Palouse, um, and you know, to what extent, if if we don't have a cultivar that uh, that already exists, you know, can we sort of hybridize one that will that that will be successful in the future? Um, there's also sort of the genetic, you know, editing and genetic modification side of things, right? Trying to engineer better crops that um, are more resistant to the kind of droughts and heat waves that we might see in the future. Um, we also are sort of starting to see, interestingly, some, you know, uh, one of the fascinating things that is an outside of Idaho thing as well is that, um, you know, a lot of these ag companies are you know, if not national, multinational companies, and they have the, the kind of perspective to look out across the US and say, well, if if our, for instance, almond operation or our grape operation in California is going to be at threat because of water pressures here, where can we acquire land to maybe start moving some of those operations in the future? So I think we've also started to see um, you know, some kind of, uh, you know, some some looking at, you know, strategic moves by agricultural companies to sort of start acquiring land in in places like Idaho and starting to move some of their operation there because it's it's maybe a bit of a hedge for a warmer and probably drier future. A lot of what we've been talking about strikes me as mitigation strategies, right? We are shoring up Idaho's water infrastructure so we can store and distribute water more effectively. We're looking at private um, industries, uh, ways to, to thrive in a drier climate. Are there any policy changes that are Idaho specific that could pivot this carbon emissions reality that we're seeing right now that, that could help shore up against global warming in the first place? Yeah, this is a, um, you know, this is a, a big question for, um, 
you know, that we face over the next sort of 50 years, right, is that we need to invest in sort of some of the technologies that will sort of help us reduce how much we emit in the in the long term, right, getting away from the use of fossil fuels for transportation for electricity generation. Um, but in addition to that, you know, um, you know, how do we, yeah, how do we mitigate some of these emissions, right? How do we um, potentially, you know, encourage the, um, the, I don't want to say re removal, right? Um, but yeah, the removal of CO2 from the atmosphere. And, and one of the big things is just through, um, there's a whole sort of subset of, of the climate solution world that's focused on sort of what are called natural climate solutions. So this involves things like, um, you know, better management of forests or more active management of forests to manage them to be able to, to, take, to take more carbon out of the atmosphere and sequester it in the soil. Um, and, you know, so I think some of those policies that, that have to do with, you know, what I'm looking for are policies that could potentially help us with, um, you know, uh, addressing sort of the global picture of climate change while also helping us do some of the things that we know are helpful in Idaho, right? So things like um, managing our forests for a more healthy fire regime, right? So we're not getting these huge explosive fires, um, but that, you know, the fire that we do have is is healthy and, and helpful for the ecosystem. That ecosystem is then, you know, removing carbon from the atmosphere, and it's serving as a, you know, it's, it's protecting our source waters that we use for irrigation and, um, and water supply in our populated areas. And so I think some of those, those policies with respect to land management um, and where they intersect with, with, with carbon and with water are going to be really important for Idaho in the, in the not too distant future. Is there anything right now that gives you hope for Idaho's climate future? Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, there are a few things, right? I mean, one is simply that um, we are not an oil and gas state. Um, and so that's a that's a problem that we, you know, it's, it's for a long time, it was maybe a benefit that we didn't have. Now it's sort of a problem that we don't have, right? We Our economy is not dependent on oil and gas like some of our neighboring states um, and some other states in, in the country, the extent to which Colorado is as well. Um, you know, so, so I think we don't have to solve those questions, right, of, of having whole industries that are, you know, potentially needing, you know, assistance to kind of, um, you know, to reduce their impact. We are, um, at the same time, I think the thing that really gives me hope is actually like interacting with my undergraduates and, and the students. And I think a lot more of the discourse that's been out there on climate change, um, you know, we're kind of at this point where we're thinking about what the future looks like. Um, I think the pandemic has maybe really forced people to kind of um, look at like, well, what what kind of future do I want for myself, right? What kind of what kind of place do we want to live in? Maybe I didn't like commuting forty minutes in a car by myself. Um, and so I, I think that there there's hope at least in people sort of starting to get a little bit more serious about climate change, thinking about climate change more broadly, right? Understanding that climate change is not just, um, you know, warmer temperatures, that it, it, you know, it means droughts, it means fires and smoke, 
um, and just kind of of saying, yeah, I think we can do better, right? I think that we can, you know, we can we can abate the worst parts of climate change while making Idaho a better place along the way. And I think that um, especially the students that I get to interact with, you know, who are now I think like half my age, right? Um, for them, it's it's real, right? Like they they will be um they'll very much be alive in that kind of 2070 kind of time frame and for them it's real and as they start to think about having kids themselves it's very real for for their kids all right dr lejo flores thank you so much for joining us today yeah thank you melissa i appreciate it and thank you for listening make sure you're following idaho reports on social media for the latest political news throughout the week and subscribe to our weekly newsletter to get a roundup of our work each friday you'll find that link pinned to the top of our twitter and facebook pages presentation of idaho reports on idaho public television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.